I'm Roger Baker, Executive Director of the Stratfor Center for Applied Geopolitics at RAIN, a global center of excellence for geopolitical intelligence and analysis. Learn how you can put geopolitics to work for your organization at rainnetwork.com. Welcome to the Beyond COVID podcast from RAIN Network. In this podcast series, David Lawrence, co-founder of RAIN, speaks with Dr. Fred Southwick, an infectious disease specialist at the University of Florida's College of Medicine, and Dr. Bill Lang, an expert in public health responses to biological incidents about the current state of the COVID-19 pandemic. Let's listen in on this week's conversation. Bill and Fred, uh, again, as always, uh, thank you for taking some time. Uh, give us an, uh, a bit of an update on, uh, I'll call it the, the current COVID environment, but also want to uh, spend some time about some of the lessons learned and what you guys are keeping an eye on in terms of what's on that horizon. So uh, let me just turn the floor over to you. Well, I think, I mean, I'll start with the, you know, COVID is pretty much gone as a significant player in, in in commerce, in whatever whatever people need to do in their lives, you, we're past it. Now, is it gone? No. Um, I think uh, people are still getting COVID. Um, we are still having COVID deaths, but nationally, COVID deaths are now down to less than 175 uh, per day. I mean, that sounds like a lot of deaths. But when you temper that by the fact that we're 341 million people, people are dying every day, there is still COVID out there. And what a COVID death is, is somebody who dies and has a diagnosis of COVID anytime in the past 30 days. So what we're seeing is as a, any significant level of COVID deaths, it's, it's, almost, it's almost nothing. Um, and simultaneously, we're having cases continue to go down and hospitalizations continuing to go down. There is a new dominant uh, strain that is coming out, um, XBB 1.116. Um, this new strain uh, seems to be just, it sounds like a broken record. Um, it is it is no more, it is slightly more infectious. It is no more severe than any of the recent strains. The only thing a little bit more unusual about this is it tends to have a predilection for causing conjunctivitis or pink eye. Um, that seems to be one of, the most pro- one of the most prominent symptoms that they're seeing with the, with the new strain. But other than that, it's not anything significant. Um, and the last thing that I'll say, and then I'll, then I'll be quiet, is that um, with the CDC, the FDA put out new recommendations uh, for the use of COVID vaccines. And I thought the most interesting recommendation was that if someone has never been vaccinated, they're saying that now because the, the demonstrated rate of COVID immunity in the country, relative COVID immunity in the country is so high, that you no longer need two vaccines. Essentially, everybody has some degree of immunity. So one one dose of the uh, bivalent vaccine is adequate for anybody to be considered immune, uh, fully vaccinated against COVID. 
And then other than that, they recommend that everybody should have at least one dose of the bivalent vaccine. And the newest thing is that if you are um, over 65 or um, people who are immune compromised, you are eligible to have a second dose of the bivalent vaccine as long as it has been uh, at least four months since your most recent dose. Bill, uh, that's an excellent summary. I agree with uh, your, your conclusions. Uh, COVID-19 is relatively rare now, uh, but I have to share with you that I actually got COVID-19 uh, three weeks ago. And the way it happened is a neighbor went to the NCAA basketball tournament and there was a lot of cheering. They came home with a cold, thought it was nothing. Uh, and then my wife actually took our neighbor to uh, an errand. And at that time, uh, she picked up the, the virus. And if you're in the household, you've got an 80 to 85% chance that you will contract it from your uh, other member of the household. And indeed, I did. I took Paxlovid, and I only had a runny nose and a cough for 24 hours. But my antigen stayed positive, actually for two weeks, even though I had no symptoms. Uh, emphasizing that this virus can spread to others even when the, uh, the index case does not have symptoms. But uh, overall, I think we're, we're tailing down. And I, I agree that if you're beyond six months, four to six months from your last vaccine, if you're over the age of 65 or you are immunocompromised in some way, uh, it, I, would, I would take uh, one dose of the bivalent, bivalent vaccine. And I had been tended to, I was going to take the bivalent vaccine. However, I just got a good dose and now I've had a booster. So I don't need to get, I don't need your vaccine at this point. So Fred, do you boost again in November or so? October, November? Let's, I think I'll wait and see what the data is. They may make, you know, one of the uh, good things is you don't have to make a decision until the time comes. And I think uh, as we've done all along, look at what the data is showing. If there are no cases around, it doesn't make sense. And uh, the other point is that after I've now had uh, six, a total of six shots, um, you know, I, the, my memory, I predict my memory T cells are going to be very strong. And even though there might be a slight delay, I, I think I'm probably protected uh, quite well, even without further boosters. And as you guys uh, think about the you know, sort of not just uh, the current landscape, but uh, the lessons learned um, as a fair amount of thought has been given by a variety of commentators about how to prepare for the next uh, pandemic. They talk about it as not an if event, just when. Uh, but it'd be great if you could share some of the more important lessons learned that you think come out of this. And uh, Fred, I know in your role at the hospital, just, you know, what you're doing from a planning uh, perspective would be important. And I know, Bill, you're advising leading uh, firms about how to think about, uh, you know, in the event of the next uh, occurrence. Go ahead, Bill, you can start. <laughs> okay, so my, my thought is that what we've learned from this is that one of the most important capabilities that we have to have is the ability to build tests rapidly. We know how to do this. We know how to build tests. Building the test is not, generally speaking, 
as difficult as building a vaccine. Um, it doesn't have to go through as much safety. It's more just a verification test. Um, it took us too long to make tests available to the general public um, for COVID-19. Uh, if we're going to if we're going to build something new, it's a capability for to be able to do these kinds of tests uh, and get them out there rapidly. I think we've demonstrated that we can build vaccines rapidly. I mean, this was pretty amazing what we did with vaccines through this. That's a that's something we've learned, and I think we'll be able to to execute on. And then the the third thing is having now been in government working through at least four or five different um, uh, significant infectious disease. I don't want to say pandemic, but at least major outbreak events. I think the biggest thing is that we have a track record of forgetting about it. You know, a year or two after it's over, okay, that's done. Let's forget about it. No, we now we know, companies know, governments know that we're going to have another event. And everybody needs to, every organization needs to make sure that they've got a reasonable framework of how to address this that's on their shelf, that is reviewed periodically, that is exercised periodically, um, and we know how to respond because we're going to have to respond again in the future. Well, that, that's an excellent summary. I would point out uh, another very, very important uh, issue is uh, uh, accurate information and uh, specific authorities being listened to. A major, major problem we had uh, as the CDC was seriously compromised uh, during the beginning of the ep epidemic as a consequence of uh, a number of complex issues. And they were not able to get an accurate test initially. So our, our country was flying blind at the beginning and some uh, politicians wanted to minimize the problem and were very upset if the CDC actually gave an accurate forecast, which was we're in for a long haul and a lot of people are going to die if we don't do something about it. That message was suppressed. So I think one of the biggest lessons I take away from this, keep the politics out of infectious diseases because politics and disinformation kills. And uh, we probably didn't need to have 1.2 million deaths if we had been, uh, if we had isolated briefly, if we had tested quickly, if we had used masks uh, well, and if we had gotten the vaccine out, uh, distributed it, and gotten uh, uptake by everyone, uh, I predict we probably could have been about 700,000 deaths. Uh, who knows? I'll leave that up to the modelers. But there certainly would have been fewer deaths than there were uh, if we had. Uh, taken had an ideal response which unfortunately we did not have but fred i guess i'm a little bit more of the cynic just having been inside the government systems uh, for so long and i so i think from outside of government you need to organizations need to develop their own trusted information resources that that can take this fairly complex information and distill it um, at if, oh, ideally free of the politics because there right. is no way that you can strip the politics from government. It's just not going to happen. Uh, well, I, you, may, I mean, you may be true. You, you know better than I because you've been in the government. I have not been. 
I like to think prior to this major event, the CDC did have the authority and the credibility and people at the used to, when the CD said, you can't, you didn't. And now, but what's happened is if the CDC said anything, no one believes them now. And so the credibility of a very fine institution with a long record of very accurate uh, uh, forecasts has been uh, greatly weakened. I'm hoping the CDC will come back and be strengthened over the next decade, but I, I don't know if that'll happen. I don't know what you think, Bill. Well, I think that it's one of the, what this showed us was, you know, that you can't just look at the pure science. You've got to you've got to include a little bit of the dismal science of economics in with this also, and it all it all has interplay. Um, yes, you need to be informed by the pure science, but you know issues such as as you know taking kids out of school you know, is the long term damage that's been done by that. Where does, how do you balance those things? And I'm not going to say that I have the answer. I'm just saying that I think there are considerations that come into play that go beyond what is in CDC's remit uh, to to consider and opine on. So you do need to bring in people who can synthesize these various domains and the, the impacts um, that are inclusive of the science, but also inclusive of the societal and economic reactions to what is happening. Yeah, I agree, Bill. That That's a very important point. And the CDC is not probably capable of doing that on its own. So it's going to take a, a collaboration uh, with educators, economists, and infectious disease experts and epidemiologists to really come up with a global solution that addresses all the needs of society and not just the infect, just eliminating the infection. We saw what happened in China when the, the uh, isolation uh, procedures were continued unnecessary for very prolonged periods and how damaging that was. And that's the issue is when you bring all that together, it becomes inherently political, which is why I think it's so important that, that uh, organizations such as you know, large companies non-governmental organizations, they have their own sources of information uh, who can help them to make some independent judgments, um, you know, informed by the organ great organizations like CDC. No, I agree. And, and one of the lessons I take away also, one solution did not fit everyone, every part of the country, and different regions, different industries had to address uh, the problem of, of the spread of infection in different ways. And that's where, the, so it's not, you can't use a blend instrument. It really does require problem solving at the local level and taking all the data in to decide what to do. And the other important point is that over time, the recommendations and, and actions will change. And that's the other key part about it. For instance, thinking about weather, you you put you, you it says it's going to rain. You bring an umbrella, and you 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 don't walk around with an umbrella for the next ten days. You just for the time where there's going to be rain, and then you can bring the uh, put the umbrella away. And that's really uh, it's a lot like weather forecasting, uh, how an infection spreads and how it peaks and how it drops. And so we have to be flexible, just as we are in responding to weather. I I agree completely. And let me, I actually want to pick up on the theme of forecasting as the last part of our podcast here. But 
Um, I'm very appreciative of the perspective. You guys have been very honest brokers uh, throughout this. And uh, I wish I could be sanguine that uh, people could keep politics out of this. I think I'm sort of having witnessed um, this does become a political issue real fast, both in terms of the response. Uh, it was certainly a geopolitical, it still, certainly remains a geopolitical issue in terms of the source of, um, of the virus. Um, and that continues on. Uh, it is also interesting that because of social media, the scale and the velocity uh, in which information can now be disseminated both for good purposes and bad purposes uh, is something that I think has to be factored into um, the equation for uh, you know the next time. Um, but you know the the authenticity and the trustworthiness factor around who our messengers are, and I will just say and this is in part you know learning from you guys. There were a lot of positive and very credible sources that took the lead uh, during the uh, course of the pandemic and, you know, places like Johns Hopkins and out at Stanford uh, Medical and the Bloomberg Health Organization and Kaiser. Uh, but also, uh, I thought, you know, periodicals, media sources such as uh, the Washington Post and the New York Times and the Atlantic, uh, just to name a few, did a great job in providing information and data and seemed to be uh, doing so in a very, very credible way. Uh, and so to your point, both of your points, it, it sounds to me that uh, institutions, there'll be a certain degree of government leadership, but institutions are going to have to continue to be uh, smart about making sure they're identifying the right expertise and credible data sources so that they can, you know, listen, but ultimately they'll have to make decisions on behalf of their own people. And that's what I'm hearing is a takeaway here. Uh, because I don't think social media is getting any better. And there were certainly a lot of people, Fred, who were making a, uh, a, big, a big buck on uh, all sorts of cures and Right. disinformation and getting advertising revenue and conspiracy theories and if there's money to be made it's a little hard to believe that that behavior is going to dissipate um, but let me go to the, the point you guys were making about forecasting uh, as you look out uh, a bit to the horizon what are you looking at what are you following just in terms of the nature of infectious diseases uh, around the world and is there anything that, uh, in particular, that you're keeping an eye on? Actually, from my point of view, no, nothing specific, except for with uh, SARS-CoV-2, continuing to look for, you know, could there possibly be a, uh, a new variant that does have different characteristics? Uh, but that will do forever. In fact, we'll look at, at just like we look at flu, always looking for what are the, the new variants that are developing. Um, but there is, as far as I'm aware, I haven't seen anything else out there that is uh, giving me significant concern right now. Um, there are the various viral hemorrhagic fevers, such as Marburg virus and Ebola, that keep popping up, um, generally speaking, in fairly isolated areas. And 
the epidemiology of those is that they are so severe and so and generally fairly rapid acting that they do not effectively spread to large groups. Um, that's always been the history. They're really terrifying when you hear about them, but they're not effectively spread beyond local areas. So uh, that could change sometime, possibly, but um, you know, so far in human history, that's been the case with those. So there's nothing out there that's that's giving keeping me up at night right now. I, I completely agree with Bill and, and, and the Marburg and, and the Ebola virus are uh, quickly symptomatic. So you know who's infected. That was the major problem with the COVID-19 is a high percentage, probably around 40 to 50% of patients had very little in the way of symptoms early on or ever, and therefore it was able to spread silently throughout the country before anybody was aware that it was present. And that was the uh, real problem uh, with COVID-19. I, I, I think COVID-19 could mutate again, but I think it's reached pretty close to its maximum contagiousness, and therefore we wouldn't expect a new dominant strain anytime soon, if ever. I agree. Okay, I'm going to also paraphrase from comments both you made early on in our podcast, which is to sometimes expect the unexpected. Uh, so uh, appreciate your keeping an eye on things for us. In any event, thank you, Fred. Thank you, Bill. And um, until next time, um, just stay safe and. Fred, I'm glad the, the case of COVID was uh, a mild one for you. Thank you, David. Thank you, David. This is the Rain Insights podcast, which is part of the Rain Insights series, comprised of both virtual and real-world events, offering unique practical perspectives from Rain's leading experts in risk management. To learn more, please visit us at rainnetwork.com. That's R-A-N-E network.com. Thanks for listening.